whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. And we're just going to stop right there. But <clears throat> this is a wonderful story. There's so many things we could look at in the Christmas story. There's so many things we could, scriptures and sermons, and you could go a lot of different directions. This is where the Lord led me for our church this morning. That scripture in Malachi 3.1 that I read about John the Baptist coming to announce the coming of the Savior and that the Lord would suddenly come into His temple. Okay, uh, All these years of waiting, and then when He came, it was, a, it was sudden. All these years of waiting and waiting and waiting, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, right? Made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them who were under the law, that we might be made the sons of God is what the Bible says. And so we see this man, Simeon. We don't know much about him, but in one sense, we know a lot about it. All we know about him in the whole Bible is what we just read in Luke 25, uh, Luke 2, verse 25 through, through that passage. But we see that this man was waiting, the Bible says, for the consolation of Israel. This means he was, he was looking for. He had an expectation. He had a hope. He had a faith. And he was excited about it. He was longing for the coming of the consolation of Israel is another phrase for that was a common phrase in for the Hebrews of the coming of Messiah. So this is specifically in regards to the first coming of Jesus Christ waiting for the consolation of Israel. And when the Lord came, he was ready. This man was ready when the promised Messiah came. Simeon was ready. He was ready in his heart. He believed the promises of God. He believed the prophecies in the Scriptures concerning the coming of the Savior. And when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and led him, Simeon obeyed. I mean, it's very simple, but the Holy Ghost said he's here now. And the Bible says he came by the Spirit into the temple when Jesus, at the exact same moment that Jesus' earthly parents were bringing him to the temple at, I believe, eight weeks old to dedicate Jesus and to do the circumcision and all that was required by the Jewish customs. And it, it was at the exact same moment that the Holy Ghost led Simeon to the temple. He got up and went. It's a good thing he went when the Lord led him. Amen. So if he'd have waited, oh, I'm kind of busy. I got some other things to do first. I'll get over there and see that in a little while, Lord. That wasn't his attitude. When the Holy Spirit led him, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And when the Spirit of God led him to the temple, he went to the temple. And he got there at the exact same moment that Mary and Joseph are walking in with a little baby Jesus. It was wonderful because it was he was blessed. He was blessed and he got to, uh, to be a blessing. He took up Jesus, the Bible says, in his arms and he, he blessed him. And let's read this. And Joseph and his mother, uh, well, it says he, he, he lifted him up and he blessed him and he says, 
um, that he's going to be a light to the Gentiles and the savior of the people Israel. And so as far as we know on the whole earth, there may be some others, but as far as we know from the scriptures, Simeon was the first man other than other first person other than Mary and Joseph to take up and handle the word of life. Like John talks about to take him up and he lifted him up and blessed him and he was blessed as well. What was happening here, y'all, was that after 4,000 years, four millennium, okay, of, of the first promise that God ever made to men, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know, the first promise was ever when Adam and Eve sinned and they partook and they ate of the tree that they were forbidden to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, and there was God comes and finds Adam and Eve. Uh, hiding in the garden and they had sewed fig leaves together. He comes in and pronounces these judgments on, on, the, on the woman, on the man, on the serpent. But he said he made a promise in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman would come one day and crush the serpent under his heel. And the first promise that God ever made to man was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because this is that one that he promised. That's the serpent will bruise his head and that would be like an injury or a wound, but it's not the same Hebrew word when it says this, this, the, uh, the sun is going to crush or bruise. It uses the word bruise in Hebrew, but it means it's not the same meaning. It means to crush the servant's head under his heel. And so this was the, the first promise ever made to mankind, and it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now I want to say this, and this is... Just a simple thought this morning, but I pray that we lay hold on it. That when when the Holy Ghost spake to Simeon, there wasn't any delay. Simeon was ready. Again, he didn't say, you know, it's exciting, Lord, but it's really not my church time right now, or it's really not. I got some other things to do first. Simeon was ready. And I want to say that we must be ready to receive the Lord. I'm not only talking about for salvation, okay? Because I would trust that most people, maybe not all, but most people here today are born again. You've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't. And if you have not, you can today trust Him to be your Lord and Savior. But even for believers that we would be, men must be looking for the Lord when He speaks when we have an unction from the Holy Spirit, when we have a leading by the Lord, when He speaks to us from His Word, something that we may have read a thousand times before, but He's speaking to my heart fresh and new today about it and prompting me to action, prompting me to lay hold on the Lord, prompting me to get to this altar to seek the Lord. When God is leading us, when He is speaking, we have to be prepared and ready and looking for the Lord because you know what? He's coming again. He's coming again. The Bible says, so Christ was once offered. That's His first coming. He was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I believe that's speaking about the catching away, the rapture of the church. And we are to be looking for Him. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. But even between now and then, aren't we looking to the Lord? We need to be ready. We need to be looking to the Lord. We need to be trusting in His promises. We need to be believing in His Word. And we need to, by faith, have prepared Him room in our hearts and lives. Again, not only for salvation, but prepare a room in our hearts, a dwelling place for the Lord. A place where the Lord can dwell. A place 
where we're abiding in Christ and His words are abiding in us, like it says in John 15. Not come and go, not hit or miss, but a dwelling place for the Lord. That we actually would prepare the Lord room. I want to just read this Scripture. I'm reading from John 14.23 if you're taking notes. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, Listen to this. If a man love me, does everybody love the Lord? No, everybody doesn't love the Lord. Okay, it's the first and greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We can we love Him because He first loved us, but every man obviously doesn't love the Lord. But Jesus said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. To me, there's, there's, it's just saying that we have to have a place prepared for the Lord by faith, by trusting in the Lord. That not just that He came one time 2,000 years ago, not even just that He's coming again one day to catch away His people and then come back to the earth and reign and rule like we know that He's going to. But the Lord comes to us. Doesn't He, Doesn't he come to speak to your heart? Doesn't He come to you and invite you into a closer walk with Him? Doesn't He come to you through His Word and as you pray and as you come to the altar and speak to your heart and move you on and desire to move you on? He does that for us and He's desiring for us to come on and we need to be ready. We need to have have a place prepared for Him and not to to crowd Him out. You know, we we know the story so well about, we've heard it so many times that when Mary was about to give birth. They were they have come to uh, to uh, Bethlehem because that was the house and lineage that they were of. Caesar Augustus has given the the decree that all the world, I guess that would be all of his empire, should be taxed. And so you had to keep this commandment, and they were there, but there was no room for them in the inn. We know the story. And so where is he born? In a stable, in a manger, among humble uh, animal creatures and so forth. But he was crowded out, basically, of the end. People were not preparing a place for him. God had prepared a place for him. But the point was that he was crowded out, so to speak. He didn't have, uh, I know it was all God's will. But we don't want to crowd God out in our lives, even as believers. We all have respectable lives. We all have uh, notable things and worthwhile things that we do in our lives and work and, and school and raising families and, and, and all kinds of things. But to prepare a place for the Lord, that most prominent place, a dwelling place, not to squeeze Him out and, uh, and not to crowd Him out, but to have that place for the Lord because uh, it's all about the Lord. I know that you've heard that before. Everything's about the Lord. People are lost and they don't realize that. They're walking along around, and we were too at one time before we knew Jesus, blinded to the reality of God and our need for the Lord and His desire to have a relationship with us through His Son Jesus and salvation from sin through faith in Jesus. But the world doesn't realize it, but it is all about Him. When we come to Christ, guess what? It's all about Him. It's not, well, I've got that taken care of now. Now I can get back to life. I can get back to work. I can get back to, uh, to uh, grabbing up, you know, climbing up the ladder, so to speak, in, in life, in this natural life. This life's going to pass away, y'all. 
I'm not saying we shouldn't have goals and dreams, but they need to be sanctified, so to speak. They need to be under the blood of Jesus. Whatever goals and dreams and pursuits we have need to be what God has birthed in our hearts. You lay it all, and I lay it all down at the foot of the cross. And then He resurrects what He wants to. He'll impart to us what He wants us to have. And then He'll equip us to do it. And when it's accomplished, all the glory goes to God. And it was for His glory. But there's a wonderful Scripture. I'll just read this from Deuteronomy 30.20. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey His voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto Him, for He is thy life and length of thy days. You know, like I said a few weeks ago, we think about putting God first. And we should put God first. But it's even more than putting God first, uh, first among many. As I said, it's not just the Lord and then family and then work and then leisure time. It's not a pyramid. It's everything. It's all given to God. Give it all to the Lord. Give Him work. Give Him family. Give Him children. Give Him finances. Give Him leisure time. Give Him your home. Give Him your life, your health. Give it all to the Lord. That's where it belongs. Amen? It, the Lord is your life. We just read from Deuteronomy 30.20. And so, uh, again, this is not just for, for the lost men coming to Christ. This is for all of us. Simeon wanted to see the Lord before he died. He desired, all he desired was to see this Savior. That's all he wanted. Would we say that's kind of a wasted life? That's a pointless life? I don't believe. Because we're still talking about Simeon 2,000 years ago. And we're not talking about the countless others that lived in Jerusalem at the time. We're talking about Simeon and we're admiring that quality or that trait because what? That's universal. It should be universal for the people of God. He desired to see Christ. He desired to see the Lord's Christ before He died. And He did. It's what He looked for. It's what He longed for. And you know, you'll hear people uh, long for a lot of things. And this is kind of frivolous, but I can remember just a couple of years ago, I forgot what year, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Alright? I'm not a Cubs fan. I'm a Cardinals fan, but that's another story. Um, the Cubs won the World Series. And there were people who were like, all their lives, I forgot how long it had been, 100 years or 90 years or something. Uh, I just want to live long enough to see the Cubs win a World Series. Or a few years before that, it was the Red Sox. You know, I'm going to live long enough to see the Red Sox win a World Series. And then there might be things more admirable than that. I want to live long enough to see my children graduate from high school or college or get married. All those things can be wonderful. But all that Simeon longed for before he died, I just want to see the Lord's Christ. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Can you just let me see him? Now let your servant depart in peace because I've seen the Lord's Christ face to face. He had to pick him up and hold him and lift it up and was given this prophecy to, to prophesy over him. But the point is that was what he longed for. That was what he longed for. And y'all... When we, would, when we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that to me is what that's about. That's what we're told in Matthew 6, to seek first. Again, it's not putting God at the, a big pile. We put Him at the top. We fight to get Him at the top. I almost think that that's wrong. I think He should just be everything. He's not first with a close second, a close third, and a close fourth. He's everything. And 
and that he'll put things in proper order in your life. He'll give you a right uh, relationship with your children. They'll have the proper place in your heart. He'll give you a right uh, love or whatever you want to call it for, for work and being a good employer, for material things. All of that will fall in its rightful God place, so to speak, in your heart. But let him be first. Allow him to be first. Long for him to be first. And if he's not, we have to all do this. Get along with the Lord and say, God, I know I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. I do love you, but I don't feel like I love you like I should. Would you help me to love you more? I, I prepared room for you, but I feel like I need there's some room in my heart that's not prepared for you, that's reserved for other things. And God says, no, I want it all. I want it all and He deserves it all. And He wants to come in like a flood. The King's going to come to you suddenly into His temple. Right? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that the Lord would just come in and fill up our lives and be all of that. And you'd be amazed how God Almighty can then order your life and put things exactly where they need to be. I'm fighting for my marriage or I'm fighting for this. If we would put the Lord first, He would make our marriage what it's supposed to be. In other words, my spouse in my mind and in my heart would have her rightful place in my own heart. She wouldn't be an idol to me and she wouldn't be uh, less than she should be in my life. I, shouldn't, I wouldn't love her more. I'd love her like Christ loved His body and gave Himself for it, it says in Ephesians. Same with our children and, and, and things like that. Ministry even. Anything can be uh, in a place where it shouldn't be. That all Simeon wanted, just let me see the Lord before I die. Now let me depart in peace. Because that's what he longed for. And it's remarkable to me that uh, the most remarkable or greatest event in all of creation, in all of history, the first coming of the Lord. Okay, And we'll include his birth, his life, his sinless life, his death, burial, and resurrection. But his, when he came to the earth... It was so clearly foretold, so clearly detailed in specific prophecies and scriptures, and yet it was noticed by so few, wasn't it? I know you know these things. You're not hearing anything you don't know, but it was noticed by so few. He was received by so few, and he was celebrated by so few. But Simeon was excited, amen? Let's read about Anna just a little bit further. If you're still in Luke chapter 2, just a couple of verses, 36 and 37, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with the husband seven years after her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple. Again, we don't know a lot about Anna. We know a little bit from here, but I think that what we're saying right here in end of verse 37 tells us all we need to know. She departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. <clears throat> she wasn't seeking anything else but God. That's what she longed for. That's what she desired. And then the Lord allowed her. She coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spoke, spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. I'll just stop right there. There's two, pe two people that late in life, they were satisfied. Late in life, they, they received the fulfillment of what, what they desired. And the Bible says that the Lord satisfies the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. 
He does that. And nothing else can do that. And no one else can do that but the Lord. And the Bible says that wait on the Lord uh, are going to be renewed and strengthened and hope makes not ashamed. Anna was waiting. Simeon was waiting. And they weren't, they weren't let down. They weren't disappointed. But uh, so few, few people actually noticed when he came. The promises and the prophecies in the Scriptures are very detailed, aren't they? Have you ever studied just the Scriptures and uh, the prophecies, detailed Scriptures about Jesus Christ's first coming to this earth? There's no way it was chance or luck. Uh, I've, I've, I've studied before and I've been told by people a lot wiser than me, that there are 66 major prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus and about 270 what you call ramifications of those prophecies that were specifically filled in one man, in one life, in one birth, in one death. And it's like his, his address, his email address or his physical address in, all, in the span of eternity that address points it starts zeroing in to one man, to one place, to one spot, to one birth, and it zeroes in in Jesus Christ as a little infant in a manger. And you could not mistake those prophecies. Well, that was fulfilled in so and so. That might have been fulfilled in this king of Egypt or something else, or a priest, or John the Baptist, even, or anything. It was fulfilled in one life and one person. And it's amazing. <clears throat> even the the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious lawyers of Jesus' day. They knew, the, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Bibles. And they knew where He was to be born. And they still weren't looking for Him, were they? They still hadn't prepared room in their own hearts and lives. They were blinded by the hardness of their hearts. They were hypocrites for the most part. And they weren't looking for the Lord. So few were actually looking. Simeon was looking. Anna was looking. We're to be looking. Amen. So few actually cared when the Lord ever even came. And it is amazing that the greatest display of love ever given was through the, the life of Jesus Christ, specifically on the cross. And while he's even hanging on the cross, for example, how many people cared and said, I'm so thankful he's dying for my sins. You understand what I'm saying there? How few people even cared. I want us to turn, turn with you, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Now we all know the story or the parable of the seed and the sower. I believe it's in all four Gospels. I know it's at least in three of the Gospels. Let's look at this in Matthew 13. He's kind of given an explanation uh, to his disciples after he'd given the initial parable to the multitudes. Matthew 13, 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. And is then in, in, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, By hearing you shall hear and not understand. And seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes, who, who's closed them? They have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. This is what I really want us to see. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them. 
and hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. I want to say this, the blessed see, the blessed see, their eyes see. Simeon saw, he was waiting, he was looking, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Lord did not disappoint him. He got to see him before he died. Uh, The blessed eyes see, the blessed ears hear when the Lord speaks. The blessed heart believes and the blessed heart anticipates and receives and lays hold upon Christ, upon his mercy, upon his gift of salvation and life. And uh, he comes to them. He comes to them. If you're here this morning and you're longing for the Lord, if you're not, or maybe that desire, that longing for Jesus Christ has waned. It does happen. It can wane cold and needs to be rekindled. Uh, We can ask God and he can do that. He might send us to a time of prayer and fasting. He might send us to a time where normally this is my kickback time and I watch a football game. And he might say, I want you to take this time to go pray and read the word. I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to rekindle that fire. But I promise you, he'll come to you. He came to Simeon. He came to Anna. He came to this earth to be the savior of the world. He's coming again, but he comes to his people. He speaks to us. There are times that we may discern him more than others, but I can promise he comes to the longing heart. He comes to the longing, believing heart that's longing for him. And uh, I want to just read this myself from 1 John, just for time's sake. If you're taking notes, 1 John 1, 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which our eyes have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. God wants us to be able to handle the Lord like that, not physically, but to to see Him, to hear Him, the Word of life that's come, and for us to enjoy Him like that and to to be intimate with the Lord like that. What is the difference, y'all, between... We look at the, the Pharisees, for example, in Jesus' day that knew where He was to be born, they knew her exactly the scriptures. They could turn right to it, and they did. When Herod asked, you know, he's troubled because the wise men came into to, to town, and he says, "You, I want to go inquire and see where is he that's born king of the Jews? Where is he supposed to be born?" And that Pharisee said, "In Bethlehem of Ephrata." And they quote the scripture from Micah, and so they knew. But what is the difference between a Simeon and an Anna, <coughs> for example, that are, are looking for the Lord? What makes the difference between that and the one that's totally indifferent and like the Pharisees, for example, uh, that are unaffected? The, the most important event in the whole world came, Jesus Christ, and people are indifferent to it. They could literally care less. The Jews, for example, they cared about their position, their literal, earthly, physical positions of authority. We don't want to mess that up. Same when he was about to be crucified. They wanted their right standing with Pilate and to keep things uh, right in their positions. What makes the difference? The difference is, is, is faith. It, it's believing the promises of God. 
Not believing and saying, yeah, we check it off of our doctrinal statement, say, I'm in agreement with that, I'm in agreement with that, all the way down. Go through the Bible, or listen to a good sermon, or listen to a good Bible study. Check, 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 I'm in agreement with all of that. It's more than that. There's an anticipation. There's living by the Word of God. There's hanging on to these promises and actually our steps are actually ordered by the Word of God. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Is it that? Or do I just agree with it and love it and I want to sing about God and His Word in the Bible and I love to hear it? Or is it that life, that fuel, that food that I live by? To me, that makes the difference. Faith in the Lord. The Lord rebuked His own disciples on the resurrection morning when He was walking with the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. They didn't recognize that it was the resurrected Lord. For some reason, their eyes were withheld from seeing. They weren't blind, but they couldn't tell. They didn't recognize Jesus as being Jesus. And as they walked along the road all day long, uh, He rebuked them and said, O oh, fools, O oh, fools, and slow in heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. There has to be a belief where we believe it, believe it. Where it's a living faith. Where we're really, not only to be saved, certainly have to have a living faith to be born again, but the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It has to be a faith where we take the Word of God and everything else is, is cast to the side. And we give the preeminence to the living Word, Christ, and to His living Word, the Bible, as far as how we live our lives. How I think about the future, how I raise my children, how I go to work, how I give, how I serve in the church, how I share the Gospel. Uh, everything needs to be ordered by that. The difference between the indifferent to the Lord's coming and those that rejoice that His coming, they both had the same promise, prophecies. And they knew them. The difference was one actually held on to that and, and let God like knit it into their lives, sew it into their lives. It became part of them. It's like when the Lord told, uh, I think it was Jeremiah, to, uh, eat this scroll and it's going to come you know, sweet in your mouth and bitter in your belly. It's like taking the Word of God and really making it yours and hanging on to it. So how many people knew about the coming Savior? Well, I would say all of Israel knew about the coming Savior, and a lot of Gentiles knew as well. The wise men that came a couple years later, they were Gentiles and they knew. They had some of, some of the prophecies. But how many were waiting when He came? How many were excited when He came? How many rejoiced when He came? Uh, I think very, very few. And I think I know that the Lord would have us to be those that, that are hanging on to Him with a joyful expectation that the Lord will come. Those that are going to get at the altars today when we're through in a few minutes, the Lord's going to meet you here. We need to believe that. When I get to that altar and pray, whatever God is leading you to pray, I believe my Savior is going to meet me here. And He's going to come. And I've prepared Him room. And I'm preparing Him room. And I want Him to come in. And everything He's promised me in His Word, I want to hang on to that. And I want to believe it. The Bible says that He came unto His own and His own what received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them who? That believe in His name. So the faith, the difference between they all have the prophecies. 
We all have the same Bible. Every American can pick up a Bible. We all have the same word. But everybody doesn't believe and everybody doesn't rejoice and anticipate. The Bible says we're to live by hope and by faith. There needs to be a joyful expectation in our hearts. Amen? And this heart does not let other things crowd out the Lord. This heart that believes the promises of God lays hold. Amen? Lays hold. I want to read this Scripture. I am the Lord thy God, Psalm 81.10, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. How many of us open up our mouths wide? I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. What does God promise? He tells us, I'm, I'm the Lord, your God. I'm telling you what to do now. Open wide your mouth, and I'm going to fill it. And we say, I agree with that, Lord. But do we open wide our mouths? Do we open wide our hearts? What is he saying? To me, I picture a little bird in a nest, okay? And, and waiting, and their eyes aren't even open yet. And they're chirping and waiting for mom or dad to bring them back some food in their beak and to, to give it to them. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. He's always going to do his part. You can always count on God to be God. You can always count on Him to do exactly what He says in the Word of God. To keep His promises. But can He count on me to be the man of God that He's called me to be? Are you the woman or the young person of God that He's called you to be? Because He's telling me, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. What if your, your heart's cold? God, I need, I need you to set my heart on fire for my fellow man, for my fellow Christian, for lost people, for my enemies. Open wide your mouth. And He will fill it. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Lord, my faith is weak. I worry all the time. I fret. I know I'm not supposed to. I know the Bible says, take no thought for tomorrow that God's going to take care of me. But I still fret. Open wide your mouth and say, God, take this worry from me. Take this fear from me. And in place, give me a, 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 a perfect trust and a confidence in my Heavenly Father who provides for me. He will fill it. He's going to fill it. We have to make room for Him. He'll come in and fill us. And so we are to lay hold, the Bible says, on, uh, on the salvation of God and the things of God. I just want to read this Scripture in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 16. It says, The law and the prophets were until John. All those prophecies prophesied about Christ coming until John the Baptist. That's who that's speaking of. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. This is not a works-based salvation. Please don't think that that's what I'm preaching. But Jesus said this here, that the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. There is a laying hold. Paul told Timothy, uh, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. There is something on our part. It's by faith, y'all. That's how we do that. We lay hold. Every man, the kingdom of God's preached, but some are indifferent to that. You've shared the gospel with people. Some are totally indifferent to that. It just, it's, it doesn't interest them. At this point in their life, it does not move them, stir them. They rather care, find out if the saints are going to win today. It just doesn't move them. And yet, the kingdom of heaven is preached. And it says, and men press into it. If we're going to be born again, we've got to press in by faith and lay hold. It's not works. It's simply 
believing, not with our minds, but in our hearts, and falling at the foot of the cross and saying, save me. You're the Savior of the world, save me. You came to save sinners, I'm a big time sinner, save me. Your blood can wash away sins, I believe it. Wash me in your blood and make me clean. You say that I can go to heaven and not hell, take me to heaven with you one day. You talk about the gift of eternal life, I believe that. Give me this gift of eternal life. We're talking about opening wide our mouth, pressing in, laying hold on the Lord, and making, uh, making room for the Lord. The, the kingdom of heaven is preached and men press into it. I read a commentary on that scripture. It says, all who were ready for the kingdom, for the king's advent, responded vigorously to the announcement and strained to enter. So there is, there is some on our part where we're, we're not just blowing it off. Even as believers, and, and we can become sermon-proof Christians where we've heard it so often that it, it just literally bounces off. You know, we read in, in the parable of seed and sower, their ears are dull of hearing. They heard the prophecies over and over. They were the people, the Jews, to whom the prophets were sent. To the law was sent. It was their prophets, prophets rising up early. The ones that they killed through their history because they wanted to shut up the prophets. But the prophets prophesied nonetheless. They prophesied the truth. But their ears were dull of hearing. Hearing their eyes, they had closed. And their hearts were waxed gross. I've always given this little example. When you, when you think about something that's been left to the side for a while and it's covered over and it has become a picture of, I don't really eat pudding anymore or jello, but if I did, I can remember as a little kid that you'd be digging around in the refrigerator and you find something that's like been there for 15 years, like in the back of the refrigerator. And I think that was pudding. You know, and it's got some hard crust over the top. Or I think it's jello and it's got like the top of it's like leather, okay? Because it's been in there so long. I kind of picture that. It's still jello, but it's not really something you would want to eat, of course. And our hearts can become waxed gross. They can be covered over. We hear it. And another layer is laid on. Another layer, another sermon, another sermon, another sermon, another Christmas comes and goes. Another time to hear the Christmas story comes and goes. I believe it's my responsibility and your responsibility to keep my heart tender, to keep my ears not dull of hearing and my heart not being waxed gross. And the Lord is the answer to that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, His his Word is like a fire as well to keep it kindled uh, with the Lord. And so He can keep it soft and keep it fresh and keep it to where we can receive the Word of God. It says that men press into the kingdom. That means to lay hold on, to seize upon. And, and I'm going to be bringing this to a close, but you know, often, talking about the difference between those that received the Lord with joy and those that were just indifferent to it, and they all had the same promises. And Christ came for all of them. Same for today. Okay, same for today. Often, y'all, it was the publicans and those that were called the publicans and sinners in Christ's day that that pressed in. It was often those that were were, society might not have looked would have looked at and say they're sure a sinner. Okay, everybody's a sinner, though. Everybody's a sinner in need of a Savior. I think about blind Bartimaeus. You know that story in the Gospels where Jesus was passing by and he heard that he was passing by? 
and he starts screaming from a loud, I don't know how far off he was. Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David. People are like, hold your peace, quiet down. You're out of order. You know, you're out of order. And but let me tell you something about blind Bartimaeus. He got healed that day because Jesus came to him. He heard somebody crying for him. Everybody in that crowd that might have been applauding or clapping or smiling or or whatever was going on, listening to his gracious words, everybody didn't press into the kingdom of heaven. Everybody didn't receive what God wanted to give them. Open wide your mouth. Blind Bartimaeus did in more ways than one. Open wide his mouth. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus went and found him. No, you, you bring that man to me. What do you want me to do? That Lord, that I might receive my sight. And he heals him. Blind Bartimaeus opened wide his mouth and the God filled it. Filled him by faith. We see uh, these men pressing in. Men that, and, and others should be pressing in, but aren't. We all should be pressing in by faith. I just want to read this. This is speaking about John the Baptist. Then came also publicans, publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? So the publicans are coming to John the Baptist's baptism and hearing him preach. And what are the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees are coming to John the Baptist's baptism and standing on the back to see which of the church members are there so they can you know, get on them and scold them for going out there. And that's, that's what was taking place. And, and, and yet, they're drawing near. They drew near unto Him. This speaking about Jesus. Then drew near unto Him all the publicans and sinners for to hear Him. Another Scripture. And Jesus passed from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he sat, said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in his house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, We want to come too and worship him. No, that's not what they said. When the Pharisees saw it, they said, Why eatest your master with publicans and sinners? One more scripture. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. The point here, y'all, to me, I know I'm all over the place this morning a little bit. Y'all got to forgive me. Is that we need to prepare room for the Lord. We need to press in. We need to believe the promises of God and we need to lay hold by faith in Him. And it's not just for initially for salvation, but it's for a walk with God. He that loves me, if a man loves me, he'll keep my commandments. And I will love him. My Father will love him. We'll come and make our abode with him. He desires that. He's not just a Savior who's far off, who throws like he's throwing a football or something. Here's salvation. Lay hold on that. He himself comes. Your king shall come to you. Come suddenly to the temple. And, and our life is to be his temple where he lives. And so... This isn't just merely some little Christmas story. It's the best news that's ever been given to mankind. Fear not, the angel told the shepherds, right? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want to close with this. Y'all turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Everybody know the song about Zacchaeus was a little, wee little man? 
Everybody knows about Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? And we sung those songs like in Bible school and so forth. Let's look at this. Luke 19, 1 through 6. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He was despised by everybody. The Romans didn't like him. And the Jews, fellow Jews didn't like him because he was basically a sellout and a tax collector. And they were known for being corrupt because they would not only take the taxes that were due to Caesar, they would take a little for themselves as well. These tax collectors were known for this. He sought to see Jesus. What did he do? He sought to see Jesus. All right. So we already know he's a sinner. He's a thief. He's dishonest. Okay. He sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. He's a little guy. Okay. Little guy. And he ran before and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must do what I'm going to abide at your house. And he actually did. He came and it says, and he made haste and came down and received him. Everybody else is murmuring about this because he's dealing with that guy. That guy's a crook. Nobody likes that guy. Jesus must not be very spiritual or holy to fool with someone like, someone like that. But he came to save sinners. Zacchaeus is open and wide his mouth. He, he didn't know anything. He just heard about him. He wanted to see him and he couldn't. He hit all these big trees and he couldn't see through the... Let's see the Lord. So he climbs up in the sycamore tree and Jesus comes to the place because he knows there's somebody that's really seeking him. There's a whole crowd around people around him, but there's one who's seeking him. We got a crowd of people here this morning, but who's seeking the Lord? He says, come on down from there. Make haste. It was exciting. It was happy. It was joyful. He wasn't berating him about his sin or that he was a tax collector. He came to save people like this. He says, come down and make haste. I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus can hardly believe it. Me? You're going to come to my house? And he came down and he made a feast for him. And and then he's coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, Lord, if I've stole anything, I'm going to repay him double. And I'll pay back what I owe him. And and he starts uh, repenting of all of his sin and saying how he's going to get it straight. And the Lord's happy. And Zacchaeus is happy. And he says, salvation has come to this house today. There's somebody that was seeking him. Uh, the multitudes that were around Jesus, there was one that was seeking him. And we have to prepare him room. Zacchaeus prepared him a room. He came as a baby in a manger. He's coming again one day. But he's also here with us this morning. Dee, you can come. I want to close with this, this verse. And y'all, the altar is open this morning. But I want to read this as you come in. Psalm 24, 9 and 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. God always keeps His part, right? Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We're lifting up our our face to the Lord. We're lifting up our hearts to the Lord. We're opening wide unto Him. And let Him come in and fill it. Whatever He's spoken to your heart this morning, whatever He's been speaking to your life, if He's telling you to get up earlier in the morning and pray and you haven't been, if you do it, He'll give you the strength to do it and He will meet you there. 
He'll do what He said He's going to do. And it'll be way better than you even thought it was going to be. Whatever He's telling you to do, you open your mouth wide, He's going to fill it. He just tells us here, open wide, lift up your heads, O you gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Father, we come before You this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, I know I'm kind of all over the place this morning, but I pray, God, You would take and make sense of what's been spoken here this morning. That God, You are looking for a people like Zacchaeus. You're looking for people like blind Bartimaeus. You're looking for people like Simeon and Anna. People that are looking for You. People that believe the promises about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and and have a longing to be with You. A, a longing for the King of glory to come in. To their hearts, to their minds, to their lives, to their families, to their homes, to their churches. The King of glory to come into their prayer time and, and set it on fire. Their worship time. Lord, we desire You. We're ashamed of our, our lack of desire for You. We ask that You would kindle it. That You would rekindle it like a fire, God. And God, as we call upon You, would You meet with us here this morning? Those at the altar, those that are making an altar at their seat, before we rush out of here today, God, we are going to give You this time. We're going to give You this time to take what's been spoken and to... Let you make it part of us, God. That we wouldn't crowd you out. That we wouldn't miss you. That we would prepare a place for you. You know, the Bible says, while you're praying, the Bible says that David prepared a place for the ark of the Lord. He prepared a place. It means to establish or fix or make ready a place for God to dwell. And Lord, we do that this morning. As New Testament believers, right in our very hearts, that You would dwell, God, more intensely than You ever have before. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Lord.